coming at you from our studio at 15 Perry Street. We certainly appreciate these guys allowing us to come here. And I've got my sidekick, Paul, here. What's going on, Paul? Hey, everybody. So we have um, a guest that actually served along, I think, did you serve along both with Brad and Chris? But Different different squadrons. Okay. Yeah, same time frame. Okay. So it'll be, Kelly, first off, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And we're going to get back into your background and everything. But uh, for those who've listened to Chris Van Sant or Brad Thomas on previous episode, um, Kelly sitting with us has also done some of those same things. And we're going to get into a little bit of his past. And so what I usually um, ask people is, what's the beginning? Where did it all start at? So what is home? Because... Yeah. A lot of times that kind of tells the, the pattern of why maybe you pick certain assignments or something of that nature. Yeah. So home was Portland, Oregon. Um, okay. I'm kind of all over the U.S. as a kid, but I, you know, I guess that's where I left for the military. So uh, I was a hippie kid, you know, living out there in Portland. Really? No, nah, not really. I mean, I had Birkenstocks <laughs> and socks, you know, all year long. But wow. Yeah. I mean, so that's the 90s. true then. It was the 90s. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's the mid '90s, you know. In socks, you made sure you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you gotta have those wool. The ankle. The wool socks. Yeah, uh, yeah maybe mid calf, mid yeah. mid calf. Yeah. Okay. Some some uh, uh, plaid plaid shorts, you know. Oh no, you didn't. That's oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was Dude. the thing. So, um, yeah. So out of Portland. Okay. Um, and it all started. I mean. Started with a 1.68 GPA. You know, you can either go to, you know, graduate high school. You can really limit your options. Yeah. Uh, you can work at a, a local company um, starting out, or you can, you know, go to community college, and that sounded like too much work. So. Yeah. That sounds like my story. So how old were you when you graduated? 17 or 17. 18? Yeah, that was me. So did, like, a recruiter come to you, or did you end up going to them? Yeah, so they bugged me all through high school. I guess I yeah. knew the path I was already on. Yeah. Um, and I got annoyed with the recruiter that I had just because he was persistent, right? I wanted to party and, you know, do track and just focus on me. Yeah. And uh, I was at a party during the summertime and met this girl who had enlisted in the Air Force. And I was, it had still been in the back of my head. And so I was, she's like, you should be my recruiter. I was like, okay. Um, I can't remember if he was an Air Force guy. I don't know. I didn't, nobody pushed me towards any other branch besides the army. And I guess he just talked to me and I don't remember as much, I guess maybe as I should, but you know, the one thing is that I, literally they showed me a video and I was like, and it was a ranger video. It yeah. was the old recruiting video, yeah. not, not the eighties video, but like jumping out, you know, jumping out of planes yeah. and coming up out of the water next to, you know, boats and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, man, I want to, <laughs> that is that's it. The hook sold. Is in. I can relate to that. And yeah. he gave and he Got gave it. me he gave me a uh, I don't know what they call it, but he gave me a ranger contract. Option four. Yeah. So yeah. I joined with a ranger contract. Okay. So um, I spent time. I didn't tell you this as a recruiter. So okay. yeah, I, I kind of followed what you said there. There's a lot that um, goes into that. I mean, there's some hard work that goes into making sure that that hook sinks just right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so he got you on the video. Two minute video. That was it. <laughs> Put the VHS in, sit me down in a chair. I was like, yeah, okay. Got it. Yeah. I mean, maybe it explains the 1.68 GPA, right? Maybe yeah. there wasn't a lot of thought going on. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, and it's cool that you got the option 40 and yeah. because then it was pretty much guaranteed, but, or was it? Because what we hear a lot of times is that you end up going off the OSIT and, it, and at some point maybe things get a little, Haywire. Yeah, no, I never had an issue. Okay. Uh, never. How never. long was it that you stayed in the delayed entry program? So enlisted in August and October. I was. Oh, wow. You off. were you were ready to roll. Yeah. 
Okay. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Okay. Yeah. But wait, but you were the plaid shorts. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, I never shot a gun before I joined the military. Uh, wow. Um, is, is that weird? Well, I, that's America. <laughs> it's Portland. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe not anymore. Yeah. Maybe not anymore. It's changed up there. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly did some partying and having fun down there. And I don't know. I guess I was just ready to do something different. And yeah. it's, it's probably a lot like my career. I didn't think about it too much. I didn't plan it out. Um, always, you know, just kind of reacted and just took it as it came. And so I think that you know, has been very useful too. Yeah. I'm, I, do you still do that? Like even today, like painting vacations and stuff like that, do you just kind of go at the whim or? Yeah, if I can, I've been married 21 years. So my <laughs> wife, my wife doesn't, uh, we did one vacation like that and yeah. I had a blast. Yeah, she uh, did. Not. <laughs> yeah. She's the planner. See, that's me. And so, well, I'm not as bad as some, but I mean like, all right, what are we, where are we going a year from now? Yeah. But then my wife will take it and put it on steroids. It's like, all right, on Monday, we're yeah. going to be doing, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, God bless her for it. Yeah. She's got her list with her boxes and the kids have their list with, bo- I don't get a list. <laughs> you, you don't, know, you don't have a boat. She's given up. No, she's given show, up. Show up, shut up and pay up. Yeah. And so many times it's hilarious. You know, we'll load up and I'll be like, did you get this? She'll be like, no, that's yours. You know, didn't you pack? And I'm, I'm like, well, yeah, but you guys, pack. like, where's mine? <laughs> Sorry, you don't have a snack, honey. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, uh, Fort Benning. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And what 11 series did you end up getting? Bravo? Uh, Bravo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fort 30th AG, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, Fort Benning, Delta 258. Wow. You, so, you don't, you don't remember your recruiter. Now, see, Chris remembered his uh, recruiter's name, which no. blew me away. But no. but you do remember the unit, though, oh, yeah. the basic training. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And you know why? It's because um, I think Lee, um, Lee was in, you know, a lot of guys, I don't know what it is, Delta 258, like... There was only, I mean, yeah. there was only a few companies, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember mine too, which was a long time ago. But Delta three one. Wow. Do you remember yours? No. See, I have no idea. I'm horrible at that. I barely knew where I was most of the time. <laughs> well, okay. So, any rate, you're at Delta two five. Delta two five eight. Two five eight. Yeah, that's important. Okay. Get that eight yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think, or I'm saying it wrong, and I'm, it's just going to be par for the course. After you completed that, did you go straight to um, airborne school? Yeah, and then RASP. Yep. Or actually, back then it was it was, it was RIP. RIP. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Indoctrination pro- program for those who don't know the lingo. Yeah. The old for the old guys. For the old yeah. guys. <laughs> the old guys are going. Yes, RIP. It was back much harder. It was back. hard. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, was it, I don't know much about RASP. I just assumed that they just renamed it to you know, be more inclusive of the, you know, the times. Well, now they have pre-RASP. Oh, really? Before RASP. There was a comment, I'll stop us for a second, because there was a comment that was actually on uh, a post that I recently did about pre-Ranger. It's like, why are all these pre-courses? It's actually a valid point, because why did we create the pre-courses? Because commands are not doing their job and their due diligence and making sure they're selecting the right candidates and preparing them properly before they go. Right. So... The command of the training unit that accepts these people and receives them says, oh, man, I'm not going to work with this person. The whole idea is it's an assessment to weed out the best, so go home, and the Army gets stuck with the bill. Now, rather than going to the initial commander and going, why did you allow this to happen? It's let's develop a pre-Ranger course. Now, let's create a pre-RASP course. 
to make sure that the numbers reach a higher level yeah. because we'll prepare them before they get into the assessment piece of which, it. Yeah, which then dilutes that assessment, the it whole does. purpose behind it. Yeah. So you now have a pre-RASP and then a RASP. Man. Mm-hmm. Came in the wrong time. Yeah, right? right? It was so much harder, I guess. <laughs> so, so it, it, yeah, I mean, it's designed, too, to really get you to the RASP and at least see if you have the wherewithal giving you the early tools to get you ready. It's, it's kind of crazy. I can, I can see the benefit. I mean, if you're, you know, especially if you're losing people, like in, in battalion, if you're losing people, because we had, you know, we had guys that go to ranger school, they'd fail ranger school. And, and then you got, you are gone. gone. Yeah, and good dudes. Yeah. Right? Or... You know, they can come. It really depended on the command or your platoon. But, you know, some guys would come back and then get the opportunity to go. But, I mean, usually it was a death sentence if you came back without that tab. Yeah. We, we used to call it 80-second selection. Yeah. Yeah. And you fail. Oh, you got, that's like. Fail ranger school. That's you like just really throwing 80 selection. Hey, it's a good unit, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you get there from. That's the ranger, ranger mentality, battalion. Though, I, think. I know, I know. Yeah. But you guys, <laughs> rangers in 82nd, it goes, that goes deep. Yeah. Yeah. Way deep. Do you think? Yes. This, yeah, there's not a lot of love between those, no. those two units, I think. No, because I can remember a Which time. I don't like. I think it, you don't like. No, I don't think. I don't think that's good, man. Good rivalry. It's all American. Those yeah. are good dudes. Good paratroopers. Yeah, I think the rivalry's fine, uh, but to look down on, you know, and I can say it, you know, when I was when I was there, Ranger Battalion, right? That's the mentality. That's that's you know, you're elite. You're doing this, and you're better than everybody. But looking back on it, I mean, I. I don't think it is any easier than Ranger Battalion. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I think you get into some of those LERPs, you get into some of all that stuff. I mean, they're they're equal. I've seen some great dudes come out of there. Um, I think it's really what you make of it. You know, there's some there's some bad folks at Battalion, too, or at least there was, and them, yeah. you know, when I was there. So I think it's what you make of it, whatever unit that is. Yeah. Well, and you can't get released from 82nd. Yeah. So I think it's a lot harder to be a good leader there because you have to work with what you've got. And if you've got a guy that's challenging from a leadership perspective you, you have to figure out a way to crack that nut in ranger battalion you counsel him to death and you, you get him out of there and he's gone and that's a very you weed them point. out and yeah. i mean that was a rude awakening for the me whole I, I the whole thing that. of earning your beret every day yeah yeah, yeah that's so, very valid you know and and you got to take that team overseas and it doesn't matter you know if the guy's kind of a turd he's there you got to figure out how to make it work mm-hmm. so uh, i don't know i've a lot of respect for the guys that can make it work over there and, yeah. and the challenges they face. It's hard in a different That's way. That's the difference between conventional and soft, you know, what we're in many describing. Ways, yeah. 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 What year was this? Uh, 96. Okay. Yeah. I uh, just. That was the, the high and tights and. I just shorts. left there and I was just getting ready to say, I remember. Black berets, yep. spit shine, starches over on main post. Oh, yeah. Whole, yeah. Black PTs, everything. Yeah. Not allowed to wear a patrol cap unless you're inside the compound. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no Gore-Tex, um, no Gore-Tex showing. Oh, that's right. Long sleeves pulled down. Yeah, BDU tops down in, and in Gore-Tex g- underneath your BDU top <laughs> so that nobody knows you're nobody wearing. Nobody knows you I don't wearing. know what the purpose is. That's the only assumption I can make is we don't, we don't show that we're wearing yeah. Gore-Tex. That's yeah, I remember that period. Yeah. Um, tried to emulate those guys a lot, you know, because I had to go over there on occasion. If you didn't look the part, mm. you just weren't accepted. No, you'd you know, walk through those gates and you, yeah, you better yeah, you better blend in, not yeah. stand out. Yeah, a lot of judgment. Yeah, so I first uh, going back, you know, I first when I arrived at Fort Benny and I had like a stash, and yeah. this came off a recruiting duty, you know, so I had like the porn stash or whatever, and was quickly pulled aside and told, 
you don't want to come inside here with that thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. Get rid of the caterpillar. Yeah. yeah <laughs> went in there. Yeah, because it, it, it was sucked anyway. Because, you know, yeah. you could only go on the side of the lips. And, yeah. you know, then it had to be yeah. above it. And so it did start looking like a... So I'd be curious what the thought process was then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what, explain your stash, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What is was an '80s porn or nothing like that, you know? Yeah. But uh, anyway, so '96, uh, you arrive, and when you come in, are you, you at you get sent out to second at that time frame? Yeah. So uh, how did you get? How did that pick? Was it just the eeny meeny miny mo back then, like typical? Or I'm sure they had some system, but I'll tell you what, second, you know, coming from Oregon. Yeah, second is not where I wanted to go. I didn't want to go to Benning either. I yeah, just spent enough time there. Well, yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to go to Benning. Nobody wants to go there. I got a mad respect for third bat, but yeah, Benning sucks. Yeah, uh, and it, I mean, it is just the nature of that place. Um, but or maybe it's because you've been beaten up there enough, and you're like, I'm out. Yeah. Um, so Savannah was my first choice, and uh, you know, then second bat. But um, I, I love second bat. Yeah, loved, loved it. I'm glad it worked out the way that it did, but. You know, first bat was my my one choice. How many uh, years did you end up spending there or time? So four and a half years at Battalion. Okay. Um, I had met my wife while I was there. Um, you know, military love story. Yeah. Uh, she fell in love when she saw me and <laughs> took me about six weeks. And then, uh, you know, 21 years later. But um, I was actually, I had never intended to, to spend my career in the military from the get-go. You know, I, I grew up with G.I. Joe's and that's about it. But yeah. I didn't, I, you know... Uh, I don't, again, I didn't think about it. I just was like, oh, I'm going to go do this new yeah. adventure. Um, so what we, was your enlistment, uh, your enlistment period? Three? So four years. Four. Yep. Okay. So that four years was coming up. Yeah. And my wife, through random chance, had the same exact month as I did for ETSing. And we had been married. This was 2000. And she goes, uh, she's like, you know, she had an epiphany. She's like, probably probably not wise of us to get out at the same time with no plan. I was like, I'm just going to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. College, you know, I got a 1.68 GPA, but I'm different now. Uh, so I'm a ranger. Yeah. I'm a ranger. I can do anything. Um, and she, she made that comment and I was like, okay. It's like, well, you know, I can go to selection, I guess. Uh, wow. Where did that come from? Left field. I have no clue. Okay, so this is a guy, you know, again, <laughs> no plan. You just said a few yeah. minutes ago that you had no no desire. You just wanted to get out of Dodge. Yeah. And then you go and challenge yourself at being a Ranger and stuff, but yeah. selection just comes out of left field. You just, yeah. just yeah. decided, yeah, maybe I'll just go do one of the hardest things on the planet. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know about that. I didn't know that it was the hardest thing. I was so naive, <laughs> or, or I'm selectively forgetting it. I don't know, but I don't remember. I mean, I remember learning about... The existence of that place. How? How did you? Uh, just, just from you know being the guys on an airfield seizure, and mm. you know the cool guys are coming in, and they're gonna, you know, and and then they're now they're just notionally coming in. So we're laying out in this airfield in the middle of the night, and you know they got busy and they can't come, so we're they're notionally gonna land, and we're gonna lay here for another two hours <laughs> while they pretend to be here but not be here. That's their best recruiting thing, I guess, because um, I've heard that story more than not where they're, you're out on the range and all of a sudden the range gets shut down because yeah. Yeah. Delta's coming in yeah. to use the range and, you know, you get to sit in the bleachers and yeah. wait. And yeah, and these guys, didn't, they didn't even land. They didn't show up. There was nothing. They were, <laughs> it was all mock. And I'm like, why and that's can't soldier. we just mock being out on this airfield freezing? <laughs> like, yeah. if they can't be here, why, like, yeah. I can dream this. Right. You yeah. know, um, and I was, you know, and, and I guess to go back, maybe, maybe I was aware of it a little bit. Um, I had, 
Um, I did Best Ranger in 99. Did you? Uh, yeah. And um, How'd you do? How'd you fare? Uh, we finished. I got 11th place. Um, which hey, respectable. That, exactly. Yeah, it, w- it wasn't first. Uh, you know, I was a corporal, um, just a young guy, and I was like, yeah. I want to try Best Ranger. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, That's hilarious. Know? Yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. It just, I wanted to go do it, right? I wanted to do anything I could do. It was fun, and that sounded fun, the competition side of it. I was a good runner and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, anyway, so a few of those guys had, had moved on, um, so I'm sure that was boiling in my head. Mm-hmm. But I, I had, you know, prior to my wife saying, you know, we probably shouldn't get out at the same time. I had no intention of going. But but there was no, or was there a comment about, are you sure that's what you want to do, being married? No. 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 Okay. No. We, I mean, 21 years old. Yeah. You know, um, and I was, I got to think about the timeline. I was 21, and so I guess, yeah. So I went in 2001. You were uh, a buck sergeant? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, E5. Um and I remember, you know, the, the only negative from from battalion, there was there was, a, and you've probably heard this story before. It's not highly looked at, but you know, battalion when they get people, they don't want to lose them. Um, Spend a lot of money on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first sergeant I had, you know, at the time, uh, really poor choice of words. He told all of us. There was three of us from our or two 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 of us or three of us. I can't remember. There's four total anyway uh, that had decided to go. And he told us, you know, you better make it because if you come back, you're not going to have a job. Wow. And that wasn't motivation. He, I mean, he wasn't intending to motivate us. Yeah. Um, in fact, upon successfully completing, I came back and he had brought in imports from other places and replaced us. Wow. With, I mean. Already. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He, so he, he was dead serious. Yeah, he was dead serious. I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't see that as a good leader. It, it's not. Because I'm, I'm the type of individual that I really don't care if your passion, let's say, you know, in the private sector, I'm talking specifically, but your passion is, say, finance, but you're working over in, I don't know, manufacturing. Yeah. And you tell me that I'm going to do everything in my power to get you there because I'd rather retain you within the company and help you find your passion that's going to add greater value to the organization than, than it's all about me. Yeah. You know, because once it starts focusing on, well, you're not helping me, then am I really helping you? How can you not want somebody to be successful doing something greater, but you still want to keep it? You don't want them to be a success, but you want to keep them under you. I don't, it, you know. The how is the who? It's the person that obviously is not a good leader. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well. What did you think of the, uh, that leader before that? I mean, was he was, oh, he he was a, great. Was he? before? No, oh, bef- him. Yeah, him, him personally. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say the previous. Uh, I never, never liked him. Yeah. Um, you know, put up with him and he had put, done his dues and put his time in and he stayed on there and ended up at some point taking over the regiment or the battalion. I can't, no, battalion. Okay. Um, I went back and saw him on a recruiting trip and, you know, we didn't hash out. The company called and said, hey, so-and-so, you know, they're over at battalion. They'd like to see you. I was like, yeah, okay. So I walked over there mm-hmm. and, you know, I can't remember if I said anything to him at the point in time. You know, he, it didn't have the same kind of impact on him as it did me. I just, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, you know, it's something that I, you know, took with me as a leadership lesson. Mm-hmm. I would never, I, I just, in life, you, you never tell people, you know, if you succeed, I'm going to punish you. Yeah. Or if you don't, if you go and try something bigger and you fail at it, I'm going to punish you. Yeah. We're the kind of people that if we fail something bigger, we're going to punish ourselves plenty enough. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to be kicked out because I tried to reach a little bit yeah. further. I could see motivating an individual in a different way. That because you don't want them to, to think, oh, if I go there and I don't make it, 
Um, you don't want to already plant the seed. Hey, if you don't make it, don't worry about it. You can always come back and do it again because yeah. then that might set that, that plant that seed in that individual of, Oh, I, I, I can fail. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. and so, but there's a different way to do that than what this guy did, yeah. said. Yeah. And, and maybe know. there's more to his story that I just, yeah. you know, didn't once, once we made it, I didn't, Right. I was on to the next thing. So yeah. I didn't spend a lot of time and energy on it. So you yeah. tell your wife about Delta. Does <laughs> yeah. she know anything at that point about it? From uh, her own she was career? an analyst and she's smarter. So probably, yeah, yeah, she, she knew more than I did. She had more thought into it. She was down with it though. Um, she had just gotten out at this point and the timeline's fuzzy. So I can't remember. I think, I think she got out and then we spent another year around there um, or something of that sort. Cause I re-enlisted in battalion mm. to, to go. Um, well, they, they definitely didn't like that then. No. Well, I mean, and, and I didn't, you know, when I reenlisted, we were over in Jordan and I reenlisted and, you know, I hadn't made the decision to go at that point. I don't think I oh, dropped okay. the bomb on them at that point, yeah. you know? Um, and then the time came and, you know, I put him for selection and you what know, time of the year was it? Spring, spring of 2001. Okay. Yeah. So that wasn't that too bad. And no, uh, we had a training. One, no. Yeah. You mean the weather? Weather. Yeah. Yes. No, we had one day of snow, I think. And, yeah. you know, I decided to wear some cold weather. Last time I did that, you know, <laughs> cold weather boots, back to jungles, you know. But, no, the selection was great. I mean, it was probably the most fun I had in my entire time in the military. You know, it's the first time you're really allowed mm. to you're, – you're just on your own. You're treated like a big boy. Yeah. Um, and you're doing beautiful – you're out in beauty. Yeah. You know, and it's just you. It, you against yourself. Yeah. I'd never been to West Virginia um, until two years ago, mm -hmm. and it's amazing. And it, I mean, especially in the summertime, you know, with the green, you get on a hilltop, and as far as you can see, it's just forest and, yeah. you know, trees. A lot of them actually had only been maybe three years old, four years old that you're looking at because they'll plow them down and start over again and, yeah. you know, that whole thing. But um, yeah, God's country, you know, type of thing for sure. If you just take it all in, yeah, you know, for, for what you're experiencing. Um, but yeah, I can, anybody that knows about selection for, you know, Delta is that it's, um, a lot of, you know, you have a lot of autonomy in a yeah. way, you know, Ton. you're not, you're not sitting there and somebody's pounding you like, you know, ranger school or something like that. It's very, very different. You come out of uh, selection and you go to the unit. What was that like in your your first experience as it related from that to you know comparison of Ranger uh, Regiment? Um, you mean at the unit or yeah. like select? Um, it was just so. Di I mean, I knew the second um, the second I got told that I had been accepted, and they whisked me away and let me got me sized up, fitted for you know when we arrived at OTC before you leave West Virginia. At that moment, I, I was like done different mm. totally different just the um the level of coordination and and i want to say magic because it's a lot of work but it, it appears precision as, yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's and then you reflect on selection so then you know uh, i think a, i think i might have had five weeks or four weeks or something between you know arriving at bragg and departing and stuff and i didn't do any physical activity it was just so <laughs> broke down nothing yeah um and showed up for OTC, and then it was like eyes wide open. It was like, wow, this is it. This big boy's here. And to be honest with you, I mean, I was 20, 22 at the time. Okay. So I, I believe it doesn't hold true anymore. At the time, I was the youngest 
to go through by like a month. Yeah. I mean, just, there was a lot of young guys, but, um, so I was, I was not comparatively to people that could go over there, you know, in their mid thirties and stuff. I was on the low end of age. So it was kind of weird to me. Um, yeah, I bet it was. I was also going to ask about rank. Um, yeah. were you like one of the lowest rank individual? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're walking in, like you're saying, it's one thing to have, um, you may have rank, but yet your age and your experience level at that point, yeah, I could see being somewhat intimidated, you know? Yeah, I think I was intimidated in selection, you know, because mm. you're, you're with guys that, you know, clear to guys that are coming from group and all these different places, and they are clearly more senior than you. But you, you experienced that same thing in going through, pre, I mean, um, Best Ranger. Yeah. I mean, you're competing against some yeah. of the best of the best out there. Yeah. Or at least those are the ones who, yeah. that's the reason why they do it. They want to challenge themselves even greater than what they're already being challenged. So they come from group. They come from conventional army. They come from all walks of life. Yeah. I just, uh, I never really, and, and I carry this on today. I mean, I'm, it's, it's, I'm not cocky, um, but I, I, I'm just me. Like, I, I don't, I try, you can compare yourself to people, but I've been marginally successful along the way that, enough to know that, you know, it's not about them. It's about me. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, I was around senior leadership and senior people, but they all had the right mentality. And I think not being overwhelmed or not having to wanted to make a career out of the military, I never really thought about it that much. I wasn't, it was respectful, but rank never really scared me, you know? Did it? So I, I think I've heard this before, but I'm curious. Does, does rank really play too much there? No. So it's almost right. So that's I think that's what I've heard a lot as well. So it's it's more of like um, as long as you do your job. Yep. It, it doesn't matter how young you are then or, or no. how, yeah. I mean you've earned your way to this point, and yeah. so because of that, obviously you have what it takes. Yeah, I had my moment at at selection when mm. I was sat down to talk to you by all the the senior leadership um, before they made the decision. They gave me the opportunity, you know. When I, right before they told me what was going to happen, they asked me if I had anything else I wanted to add. And I had, had time to think about it. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was like, this is crap that you guys have focused. And that's a room full of Sergeant Majors and Colonels. And I was like, you've focused on my age so much. I'm doing the same thing that all these other... And I went off for a good two minutes. And uh, I remember uh, the, the commander at the time was like, are you, are you done, Sergeant Roby? I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, well, welcome to Delta. And I was like, oh. All right, where's the door? Like, I need wow. to get out of here. Like, <laughs> get out of here before they change their mind. Before, yeah, I was like, take me away, please. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I've even heard uh, stuff though where they, um, at least this is what I've heard. I don't know if it's true. Where they may even say something like, um, you know, you're you're not selected. So if we or if we don't select you, how we how will you react to that type of situation? And depending upon how the person reacts to that question. Yeah. will determine a lot. So that yeah. that meeting that you're describing there is is really that last point. Yeah. You know, where they're they're really making a determination. And maybe they already have you and they're or you're on the fence, but you're saying they were focused so much on your age because they were probably wondering, can we really take somebody this young yeah. and do what we need to do? And I think I think I probably was focused on the age more than mm. they were. And so my perception, you know. That's how we view the world, right? It's, right. And and I think my perception was that they were focused on my age. You know, I, I had, before I'd went there, I had people tell me I was too young. You know, they're and guys that uh, had failed and come back. You're too young. Yeah. It's and like, then you're saying you're going to um, 
assessment with 30 year olds and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Am I worthy? E8s and yeah. Oh, okay. You E8s, know, yeah. and so I the, told you, you didn't have enough experience. Yeah. Yeah. Stay and get some more experience in battalion, then go to selection. hundred percent. That's, that's the, that's you've the heard line. it, right? Yeah. Yep. It's, and then you, you see know. your buddy that's a specialist just got his tab and he goes, he's, you're like, and they pick him up. Yeah. It's, and then you see your, you know, your platoon sergeant goes and he fails. Yeah. So if you're listening and you want to try it, do it. Just, just do, do it. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I, I was very fortunate in one of the guys, um, he was a mentor in the sense of, you know, uh, he was always unconventional, very talented guy, unconventional. Um, at, at Ranger Battalion? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was not in my uh, platoon, but I had known him down in the NCO hallway once I became a squad leader and stuff. And um, he, he had gone, preceded me. And when he came home from selection, um, I was, I just asked him, you know, and he, he asked him what's selection like, you know, the whole pro like I'm thinking about it now. What is it like? What do I need to do? You know, and he, only, he, he gave me one piece of advice about just some foot care and that was it, you know, and he's like, don't overthink it. And he's like, you know, prepare, you're going to be good. You know, I, I think I might've had a packing list or something, but you know, think about that though. Again, it goes back to first off, there's so much Intel that we talk about this available yeah. through podcast about, yeah. you know, what to take. You can go out and get the Ranger handbook. You can do all these different things and such. And um, then we even have pre Ranger pre rasp and all these things we were just talking can, about. Now there's guys that are out and they're training. Right. And the there's the inside. They're like, Hey, pay me money. I'm going to prep you for selection. Yes. And yeah. They're, they're having success. Yeah, but, I, don't know, kind of wild. But, I don't know if I would have gone, but that's my point. So yeah. the, the whole thing is like, you want to, there's a sense of me. Yeah. I want to be prepared, but there's another part of me that just says, if I go as I am, can I make it? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to like overthink this whole thing? It's like going to a golf pro in some ways and saying, Hey, can you help me fix my swing? By the time he's done with you, you go out there and you swing and you go, damn, this just doesn't feel natural. I mean, it's just not me. Yeah. Am I trying to be Tiger Woods and I never will be, you know, or I just want to come out here and go around the golf course and have fun with my friends. Right. You know, and, and it's so, um, it's so hard and you know, good instructors, there's the, obviously information is important and stuff like that, but you always have to take into account. You're hearing somebody else's perspective on what they think for you. Yes. Yeah. You know, just because somebody tells me, I've seen it so much where somebody says you need to do, you know, these concrete steps. Yeah. Well, that's not true. Mm -hmm. We all get to, you know, the same place in different ways. So, yeah. you know, take the information. But I, th I think if I think if I had as much access to as much information as out there right now, I, I honestly wonder if I would have made the choice. Why do you say that? Uh, just I probably would over overthink it. I would be inside I my head, yeah. you know, because we talked about that even in the drive here yeah. about my, you know, we were talking about somebody we know that's going, uh, we met this going through psychology or psychi uh, psychiatry school and such and, it's like, you know, I, I just don't know personally if I could ever do that because I have a, my own struggles being in my own head, let alone being in somebody else's. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and you're right. I would get inside their head by listening to their stories and everything and wondering, that's by those, who, you know, by the way, those who are listening to this podcast, don't overthink it and don't not stop listening to the podcast here. That's not what I'm saying <laughs> from the advice that we're providing. But, you know, but I mean, it, there's something uh, to be said about that, that sometimes, and I get it a lot in direct messages where people will be like, so what do I need to do? Yeah. You know, what episodes do I need to listen to? And all those types of things. It's like, just, just go, just yeah. be yourself. You know, the main thing well, is look, don't quit, but go there to be yourself. Yeah. Well, the army teaches you how to do this stuff. Right. Like basic training preps you for 
going to your unit and going to airborne school and airborne school is going to prep you for going on to the, whatever the next selection is. And then you got ranger school. Like you're, you're already, you just have to do the things that the army taught if, you. If that's to the do. route you go. But what about the guy that's an 88 Mike that decides he's going to go to selection? I think it's the same thing. Yeah. He, but so he hasn't he's gone still, through all that stuff though. He yeah, hasn't. You got to be good at PT. You got to be good at yeah. your job. You have to know the stuff that they taught you how to do. Yeah. Like, but, but you're taught everything you need to know and how to be successful. Everything. From, from, I mean, every aspect of what you need to successfully complete that course, you are taught. Um, it's just like uh, it's just like learning. You know, you may shoot before you get in the military, but you you still sit through the class. You still learn how windage works. You still learn about elevation. Yeah. You still learn about iron. I mean, you even though you may be an expert on an AR, when you come in the military, you start at the base. That's the way it is there. So you don't, some of that stuff you don't need to know. Does it help to be proficient and understand how to read a compass? Of course it does. You don't want that to be the first time, but if it is, you, you know, you will learn it. You'll either adapt quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe this isn't for you, or maybe right now you need to go back, hone your skills and then come back. Yeah. How bad do you want it? You know? And, and I, I say that, you know, you, you mentioned about the listeners and stuff. It's not, it's not that you shouldn't take the advice. It's just for me, Personally, I would, I think I would overthink it. So for me, my success has been take information in, but try not, you're never going to be satisfied. Once you get information for me personally, mm -hmm. I was that into like, if we were overseas, I wanted to know everything, what's going on, what's going on. But sometimes you just need to have comfort that you know what you need to know, or you'll be taught it or, and, you know, trust yourself a lot too. You know, don't always worry about somebody else telling you what you need to do to be successful. You've gotten thus far. Try it out. Maybe great, just, great advice. Yeah. Cause I do think there are a lot of people out there that are probably like us yeah. that get inside their own head, yeah. start overthinking thing. And usually it takes somebody that you trust that, or a mentor or, you know, whether that's a spouse, a friend, or, you know, a, a leader that says, why don't you just do it? Yeah. Or, Hey, you can do this. And then, then you get all of a sudden it's like, you know, at least for me, it's like, I'm out of my head now. I can now go, I feel like I've got the, the tools, but why didn't I feel that way before? Because, you know, I'm in that cycle and I, can, I need somebody to stop the record from spinning and kick the needle and so that I can, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I can look at it with a fresh set of eyes. Well, that's kind of true of any, any phase, any, any skill that you're doing in the military. Like, you, they know you don't know what you're doing and then you get promoted. I mean, how many people are out there? That's how I felt when I became an NCO. They're like, you're all right, you're going to, Take a squad and them. Show up like, to them in the formations, right? I don't know how to do You'll that. Learn it. And yeah. then, but neither did the guy that I'm replacing. Mm -hmm. He didn't know how to do it and he learned it. But you're good at what you're doing now and they that's what they expect. And so they're going to put you in the next position and teach you how to be good at that. Yeah. So it's kind of how it works. I kind of like the, the way that he did that, though, and just saying, you know, foot care, you know, just something yeah. simple. You know, in other words, listen, I, I'm, you know, he probably could have shared a hell of a lot with you. He could have. Yeah, but the main thing that he wanted to do is, I think, give you the confidence that, you know, basically the only thing is just take care of your feet, and this is how you do it. Did it work? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. Nice. But you wore your jungles too. Yeah, I did. I'll tell you what, <laughs> it's I still Any use socks it today. Or, or? Oh yeah, I doubled up on my black wool socks, <laughs> not the not the thin sock. Thick oh yeah, sock. those black ones were much better than the green. Doubled yeah. up on wool socks, and uh, the advice was. Um, and it worked for me and I've mm -hmm. told people this before, you know, at night, get a good pair of like outdoor socks, slather your feet with bag balm, like utter really? cream, slather your feet with bag balm, sleep in those socks. 
and then it'll turn them really soft. Just keeps your it keeps your feet supple. Yeah, yeah. So you're not your feet aren't cracking. So go have a petty before you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be responsible for that. But uh, I don't want to start that fad. But uh, he said go get a pedicure. Uh, yeah. I had one blister on my pinky toe after the long long walk. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's it. That's impressive. And that's a long damn walk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Too wow. Long. That's impressive. Yeah, that, that is impressive. Yeah, I, you know, and there's nothing special about my feet. Mm. So I don't, I don't, I mean, it was probably the best, honestly, it was the best advice I got because everything else he could, he could have told me everything in the world and it just, I, it wouldn't have realized it till I was in that moment. Yeah. So it's just a lot of it is just extra information that I didn't need. So and I really I, valued that. I'm going to ask you a crazy question here because, you know, typically when you do a large road march, yeah. you know, your boots are white because of all the salt and sweat yeah. from your body. Did you, did you experience that with that? No, um, I'm trying to think. In other words, did the salt come out of you your body through your rings. boots? Yeah, yeah you know, that, yeah. because that meant your feet were really sweating. Yeah, no, you know why? I, I don't remember that because it was so wet. Yeah. I don't oh, remember that. Okay. I was, that makes sense. I yeah. was soaking wet most of that, that time. Um, and honestly, the 40, you know, plus miles that you walk, my, my brain was mush afterwards. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's TBI or, or <laughs> selective memory, but there's a lot of things I don't remember. People be like, you remember that? I'll be like... And the, I remember a lot of that, and I remember a few key points for me. But um, I, I remember the exertion level for sure. My feet were so swollen. Uh, I had broke a lace on my jungle boots, Whoa. like a 550 cord, right? And I broke a, and I didn't even need to put a lace back in. And you didn't have to no. cut your boot off either. No, no, no. <laughs> but I didn't cow. need I didn't need laces uh, oh, to gosh. keep my foot in that boot, right? It was my feet were so swollen. Wow. Yeah. That yeah, sounds that sounds. But I used to wear tight boots. I mean, you had two pair of socks on, yeah. and you yeah. know, I like tight boots. I don't like loose boots. You yeah. know, I want them half a size small, almost like climbing shoes. Yeah. You know, because then you don't have all that friction. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Now that's see, that's another great tip. That's yeah. for me. You, you drop. Yeah, that's something to try before you go and oh, absolutely. make a long movement. That's yeah. I could be just be weird, right? Don't don't <laughs> well, take my I, advice would, and try it. On. I know that would kill my feet. Yeah. And if I doubled up on socks, that would kill my feet on long road marches. Well, I was just green socks. But were these brand the new? These weren't like okay. So these were these were boots, um, and I, we made me going down a rabbit hole. We don't need to yeah. go here. But yeah. these were boots that um, you've always worn with double socks, or you wore the double socks and it created them tighter because you know you typically don't buy boots that yeah. are wide enough. I your only, feet float. I wore same boots. Only wore double socks when I road marched. Okay, so that made that tightness that you're talking yeah. about. Okay. Yeah, well, it just kept the friction down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were, I mean, those you remember those old wool socks? They oh, yeah. Weren't, they weren't super thick. No. Um, but it was just enough that I think, you know, they're they're rubbing on each other versus creating the hot spots in the boots. So. Now, my wife is very envious of because of wearing those damn things for 20 years, you know, I have no hair down at the bottom of my legs. And yeah, most of us just been, yeah, <laughs> well, all the way from my calf all the way down. Yeah. Like, Your legs are super smooth, you know. And it's like, well, wear combat boots yeah. and wool socks for yeah. you know, 20 damn years and... It'll happen to you too. <laughs> I you too can have that. No, I don't shave my head. Oh. It looks like that though. It's as smooth as that, like a baby's it's butt. A good look. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> too much information. Um, so you arrive at the unit. You know, they're accepting you, even though you're one of the youngest guys. But about that time frame, nine eleven hits, and yeah. so you're in this, you know, again premier unit that is designed. Um, for these types of moments. And I mean, what was that like? You know, we were out, I was out on the, I was out on the range doing 
CQB or something when it happened, when the first tower got hit and got called over to a van and, you know, just like everybody, you never forget where you're at. We listened to it on the radio and it was like, what's going on? You know? Um, and then the second plane hit and I just remember I'm, I'm like, we're, we're at war. Right. And still I hadn't seen the video or anything. So, so I was, this was all in my head, just, sure. you know, whatever they were broadcasting. And, uh, you know, the first thought through my head was, man, I'm, we're going to be done soon. Like they're going to, they're going to need, they're going to need Sergeant Roby out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that was not the case. It was literally <laughs> like, all right, go back. We're going to train some of the guys left to, you know, deal with whatever was happening on, on Bragg. Yeah. Um, you know, because there was, you know, there was still so much going on, you know, in the air and the country. But nothing no, changed. Nothing. It was just- I went back out and did more hits. Wow. More practice. Yeah. And then, and then finally we went at lunchtime. Uh, I was sitting there eating, got to see the planes um, actually hitting the tower. And that's when it really sunk in. Like, wow. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, there was a little bit of despair because, you know, this is pre 9 11. Everybody wants. And it's a weird thing to say, but everybody wants to go to war, right? You're, you're training for the Olympics. You want to go to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. And that was very much the mentality in battalion. You're, you know, that's how they, you get these young kids and, you know, we want to go to war because you don't think it's going to be a 21 year, 20 year right, right. battle. Um, Thinking more like Panama. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Grenada, mm-hmm. all that yep. stuff. And, and come back. Yeah. And so a little bit of despair in the sense of like, well, I'm going to miss war. I'm here. Battalion, you know, I don't know what's going on. I mean, did you yeah. did you really think that? I, I really thought that, honestly. That at that time, I thought that I was like, man, I left battalion, I'm here, I'm in training, and you know, um, they're they're going, but I'm I, I thought it was going to be so short that I was going to miss war. It just it, it wasn't the right mindset, obviously. Yeah. But you know, that's that is the mindset. I was like, and I, I know a lot of guys felt that way, like, oh, because you think it's going to be short, you didn't think it's going to be this protracted you know, prolonged war. Mm. Um, yeah, nobody saw that coming. No. And then when I got done uh, with OTC, you know, I went to the only group that had been gone. So now I'm like, Oh, the new guy. And it, it is not where I want I was, you know, you're, you're standing there waiting to be told where you're going. And it's kind of like getting picked for, you know, uh, a team when you're a kid, you yeah. know, and I was, never, the I was never the first one. <laughs> and it's towards the end. I'm like, man, you know, the first one, you know, th- this next group's going to be deploying overseas. That's where you want to go. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't picked for them. You know, yeah. then after that, the rotation's going to be this guy. Okay. I wasn't picked for them. It's like just my heart sunk. And to be a hundred percent honest with you, I wouldn't change anything for what it is. Cause the group of guys that I was with, obviously, you know, Chris and Brad, they were in a different squadron and you know, they have their, their relationships there and everybody's good, but I wouldn't change it. I, I love, I absolutely love where I went and, you know, my fears of not being able to participate in combat were false. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. unnecessary. Those, those days did come. Yeah, those days came. Yeah. After that, how long was it before you started, um, dog handling and, and dealing with dogs and stuff? Uh, right. Kind of right off the best. I, I was in and around them, um, from the beginning, but, uh, by design, did they push you that direction or, <laughs> You know, I got asked, you know, it was essentially, you know, I, I volunteered that I, I had dogs when I was a kid. I had Cocker Spaniels. I had no clue what I was talking about. I was like, does anybody like dogs? I was like, yeah, I had Cocker Spaniels and Coon Dog and no clue what I was talking about. Yeah. Never, I, I don't even know if I knew about police dogs really. I mean, I had a friend whose 
dad had a police dog, but I didn't yeah. realize they bit. I was like, oh, they look for drugs. That's all I cared about. They look for yeah, drugs. Smell. Yeah, yeah, use them for their nose. It's yeah. like, man, if I carry his pot in his house, is this dog going <laughs> to light me up? <laughs> uh, you know, that was the extent that I had before right. being in the military. Um, and so I was like, oh, yeah, I love dogs, dags, you know? And, um, you know, it was a, it, I, I got exposed to it slowly. And then I stayed, you know, doing, doing operational stuff and then went over. And I was still an operator, but... And then I finally got a got my own pup. Yeah, what was that like? I mean, because well, first off, when they did they send you through the full born training or what, what was it? Yeah, like? I went through uh, about six weeks okay. of uh, police, like regular old civilian yeah. police dog stuff, and um, that was interesting. Um, yeah, it, it never really bothered me. It made sense, right? It's it's like anything in the military. It's a slow progression. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Same dog? Uh, like did the, the dog that you talked that you got is like a pup or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, no, I trained. During my train-up, I had a uh, different dog. Oh, okay. Um, and then because I did my train-up and then went back to my team. And then uh, after another rotation uh, overseas, then I came back and got my dog. And then I did a couple rotations with him, and then I got out of the military. Yeah. So, did you get a chance to keep him? I did. Yeah. That's that's yeah. the coolest stories, I think. Yeah. When they retire him and let the the handler go ahead and keep him. Yeah, and and he, in full disclosure, he wasn't necessarily the most clear headed dog. He wasn't, <laughs> and he was loud. He was needy. It's probably a reflection of his handler. <laughs> I hate to admit it. Um, he whined a lot, but uh, yeah, he was amazing, and he transitioned you know, better than I did in wow. the civilian life. Yeah. Did really? he help you through the transition you think too? Cause on reflection, I think so. Yeah. I don't think I appreciated it when I had him, but having that tether, um, uh, I think it did help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that companionship and, um, just kind of, I was, it wasn't cold Turkey. I still had something in my life that I had, you know, yeah. continued to do. Um, yeah, he, and he was great with the kids and everything. I think, I don't think there's enough, you know, and maybe there is by people who are really close to it, but some who may be listening may not realize, you know, what what dogs go through and yeah. see and the impact that it can still have on them. Yeah. You know, long term. Yeah. Yeah. He um, I mean, the shock TBI. Yeah. He got uh, we overseas one night. We got um, we got a house dropped on us and he was in the house uh, when wow. it happened. Oh, and, uh, you know, it kind of he was off a little bit for a couple of days. You know, I don't know how that impacted him. Um, he was always kind of crazy. It's th that breed of dog. He's a Malinois. Okay. That breed of dog is they're special kids. They're, they're crazy. Special kids. Yeah. They're, they, they are like five-year-olds. Really? Yeah. Just all the time. Okay. I've seen them mentally. It's like dealing with an okay. ADHD five-year-old, mm. you know, who, who by the way has teeth and yes. likes, likes to yeah. use them, you yeah. know? So, um, you, they got a short attention spans and, you know, and they're always moving. So it was, I didn't notice any real effect on him minus he was slow going for a couple of days after getting blown up. Yeah. Um, why, why is that breed one that's used? I mean, what was it that you learned about that breed? I'm curious. Yeah. Cause I, I see them everywhere, yeah. but usually they are for those purposes, you know? Yeah. I think just the lineage, but Malinois over shepherds, I get asked that a lot, but yes. I prefer, yeah. You know, I, I try to equate, they're both sports cars, right? And if, and it's probably not a, I could probably think of a better analogy, but, you know, German Shepherds to me are like, kind of like Cadillacs, if you would consider like, like a, a sporty Cadillac, you know, they're slow, they have a purpose, they're, they look good, 
um, but they're comfortable. Malinois are, they're hardier than a Ferrari, but they're like a Ferrari. You know, it's a totally different ride and a lot more energy and they are built to go. But they don't break down as much. I think German Shepherds, you know, health-wise, I think Malinois are a lot healthier. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, from a breed perspective. Yeah, from a breed perspective. Mentality-wise, um, there's good Shepherds out there. Don't get me wrong. We would use Shepherds. If, but I think on a numbers basis, Malinois seem to be environmentally, you know, for that job, very mm -hmm. specific, not for police work necessarily. Uh, I think we just have more success in finding dogs that environmentally can deal with everything. You know, they're hardier mentally. Um, and can put up with a lot more stress. Is, and when I say stress, I mean, whether it's gunfire, explosions, yeah. you know, corrections to get them to do the behaviors, you know, fighting through a bite when they're on, you know, getting bit and they're getting hurt as they're getting bit, stuff like that. Yeah. No other breed really is used in these, those types of situations? Sh just shepherds and Malinois, okay. but I would say majority Malinois. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, in the police world, it's a lot different, right? I mean, I don't know what the numbers are from a bite perspective and how much they're used. Some departments are very busy and, you know, some are not, right? You may have a shepherd that gets a couple of bites his entire career. You might have one that's getting multiple bites in a day. Um, but, you know, in this police world, I, I, I think Malinois are as prevalent, um, but I think shepherds, you know, there's that lineage with American police that, you know, really was the shepherd from the beginning. Yeah. So The... Um question I have is how long did he end up staying with you in service yeah. and then like so when did you pick him up I had him about half I had him I don't remember what year it was a maybe oh four so I had done two rotations over to Iraq so probably like oh four late oh four um and then I had him till I got out in oh seven and then I kept him and he 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 was like 15 or 16 when I lost wow. him. Wow. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. He's, a yeah. nice long life. Yeah. He was a pocket rocket, though. I mean, he was a small mouth. Oh. You know, he was like 55, 60 pounds. Very cool. Was he always wound up still? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> still yeah. in? Yeah. 50, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. He was he was crazy. Yeah. I think people, because it's becoming a popular breed, mm -hmm. I mean, they look so cool and the stuff they can do, and people that are not equipped to handle them, they end up with these things It's like, and it's just such a high energy, high impact animal. It takes so much maintenance. I'm that guy. I bought a Dutch really? Shepherd, which is essentially like a Malinois. Uh, yeah, for my daughter <laughs> <laughs> after I lost Tupac. And uh, yeah, she uh, we had her for about 16 weeks. And then uh, it was not the right animal yeah. for my home. And she mm. went to some police department somewhere. I called up uh, the guy I got her from. I was like, hey, this is not working out. <laughs> she's food aggressive. Uh, you know, she's Ooh, biting, the, not good. No, biting yeah. the crap out of my kids. And she's yeah. only 16 weeks. My wife's basically throwing food at her now. So we're. Wow. I don't want to. And I'm not home enough. She was fine with me. But, you know, I was out and I was traveling. And I was like, this is. Yeah. So for all those people out there that want them because they look cool. Yeah. I had somebody ask me, would you get another? I'm like, I might. I might. But. I'm okay with floppy-eared dogs. I'm okay with labs. There's there's a lot of good breeds out there. Right. Um, and they're not all monsters, right? I mean, they don't all have aggressive issues. They're just, they go. Like, yeah. there's people underestimate how much work they need. They're a working dog. Mm -hmm. They're not the dog that's going to lounge on the couch at two years old with you. There's there's no off button. None. Yeah. So did you, did you end up working with him a lot then in the unit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
That was your primary role then? Yeah, no. Okay. Uh, about half and half my time. Okay. So um, I handled him. I was a soft handler for uh, half my time. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really joyful. That was a great, you know, thing to do. I really enjoyed that aspect of the job. I love working a dog. Yeah, I just I, I want to think, just because the animals are that way to a lot of humans, that it was therapeutic in a way, too. It was, and I don't think I realized it. I was looking at some pictures a couple of years ago of um, just him, and I came across one that I had, and we it was just him and the dirt over there on, you know, on the base we were at. And he, uh, I, I thought back, and I'm like, man, I, you know, we lived in a kennel together. He and I had a kennel that we lived in together by myself, and I had my have my best friend with me, right? I didn't have to talk to anybody. I didn't yeah. live in a room with four grown men. I wasn't, I was just with my dog. And uh, I think that, you know, I had guys come over and they'd hang out and, you know, uh, I, you know, the dog team was always, you know, a lot of guys like to come and hang out. And, and I think, cause those animals are there, you know, there is a therapeutic aspect. I think when you come home from a, from a long night out doing hits and, you know, you just chill with your pup. You know, uh, we had a dog, Valco, who um, was Chris's dog, uh, Chris's dog, Moyer. Oh, I, oh yeah. okay. Yeah. And he, uh, he, I handled him uh, when he was killed over there. But, you know, he was our mascot. That dog was amazing. You know, and he'd come out and hang out and love to sit around and, you know, That's come cool. up, come up in your face, put your head on your shoulders and smoke cigars with you. He wouldn't smoke them, but, you know, <laughs> hang out and smoke right. cigars while in. And there was that level of camaraderie that it brought. That, so there was, they were able to disconnect at times. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Some, I mean, some had more difficulty than others. There's, yeah. there's definitely always, and you yeah. probably saw it, there's dogs that you just, yeah, they're a tool. We they're have, a working dog, and that's what they need to do, and they don't come and play with you. Yeah, we had, <laughs> we had some dogs like that. Yeah. Some you could, you know, you're like, all right, and they'll let yeah. you pet them, and they could kind of hang out. And others, you're just like, keep that thing out of, out yeah. of blast radius, because... He doesn't, doesn't not trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. And and what's crazy is discriminates amazingly when we're working. Yeah. But yeah. doesn't turn it off when we're home. Right. Yeah. Um, so but that was I mean, that wasn't often. Right. But, you know, we had a few really good dogs that you could just they were essentially pets. I mean, they were that comfortable That's around. Cool. Guys. Did you both end up having TBIs from same events, you know? Yeah, I was in the house when it yeah, when it dropped on okay. us. Um, yeah, that was a, we, uh, I, I remember waking up the next morning and just whole, it, it was like standing on a line of when you're shooting AT4s or Carl Gustav's and you've shot yeah. way too many. You wake up and your whole body just aches and, you know, probably peeing a little blood and, you know, just you recover, you know, foggy, hazy, hungover, almost like a, a real bad hangover with body aches everywhere. Mm. Um, but, you know, beyond that, um, I mean, yeah, we, I'm, I have no doubt there's TBI uh, concussions and stuff out of that one. Yeah. What was it that caused you to decide to to leave the army altogether? Because you were with the unit seven years then, yeah, I think six, six yeah, over six. six okay. Yeah. She, uh, my wife. Um, you know, I was we we had oh five was a really bad year for losing guys and people getting injured. It was it was a really rough time. That was when you know I did a. Um, she did uh, over a year over there. And during that time I was rotating back and forth. Um, we were losing guys and she was an Intel analyst. So she had access to, you know, the Cipernet and everything we were doing, um, in theater and, um, obviously not 
high level of detail, but, you know, knowing essentially what we're doing. And I think that just wore on, you know, uh, we were 22 when we, now we're in our mid twenties. Um, guys are losing, you know, kids are losing their dads. I'm losing teammates. Wives are now raising kids. And, and I think in her head, she just looked, she's like, she came to me one day and she's like, look, it was about time for me to make a decision on reenlisting. And she's like, I don't mind. You can stay and finish your 20, but we're not having kids while this is going on. You didn't have any at that point? No. Okay. No. She said, you know, we're absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have you go get killed or, or wounded, and I've got to take care of you, or I don't have you, and I've got, you know, kids. So uh, I was like, I looked at myself, and I said, all right, I'm a two-ice uh, second in charge on a team. Um, it's kind of like Ranger, but hey. You know, I've done it. Anything gets cyclical, right? I've done it enough. I, you know, everything above this, while it will be fun, you get to a level where it becomes administrative. Is is there something above this? No, I think. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, within the building. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I don't. You. But yeah. I, honestly, I don't think there's anything better than being on a team. I mean, yeah. there's to me, there's nothing better. Um, and I just said, okay, I'm good. I'll go to college. I'll get out. And so was, you didn't think about maybe going into more of an administrative role or into something that you could still be a part of the unit, mm -hmm. but in a different capacity where you could still lend your experience and not, no, nothing no, like that? No, um, no. I, I knew for myself when I got out that I needed to be not in not in the East Coast. Like I needed to be – otherwise I would be drawn back in. Yeah. So I knew that about myself. Um I did, you know, I spent the last year working on some research and development projects um, and, you know, taking lessons learned and trying to turn those into better products for us. So I did get a little, it wasn't the full year, it was about six months, nine months. So I did get a little bit of that. But I think, you know, if I was going to stay there, the only place I wanted to be on was in a team. So I can personally say that there are things that I have regrets when I mm -hmm. look back. Is that one of the things maybe? No, uh, I don't think I've ever really had regret about it. Mm -hmm. I've never, being honest, I don't, I've never been like, I wish, I wish I would have done. I, I can say that because it, it's enjoyable time, you know, and, and sure, I would love to have more years of it, but there's, there's also the aspect of, you know, at some point you're going to get off the train anyway. Um, yeah, yeah that's well, what everybody forgets, right? Yeah. And, and you kind of got to decide how you got off the train. Yeah. Like there's no guarantee that you'll get to continue to do your job. Well, you definitely you want to do it in your terms. Or that you won't. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife made it easy, right? I mean, I did want a family. Uh, my mom was real sick. Um, she's since passed away, but she was real sick. And, you know, I, family was important to me. And all of our family was here on the West Coast. Um, so it, it really wasn't that difficult of a decision. I don't remember laboring on it much. And again, maybe it's too many blasts in my head and I don't, I don't remember. Um, but that's almost like that. I could see it with the story that you shared of your, you know, how you are and everything yeah. of you being sort of like, okay. Yeah. You know, and again, that spur of the moment, not too much thought I'd been inside my head. I'd been calculating what are the, yeah. you know, the risk here the, of both sides of it and all of that. And really, but for me, it was somewhat the same thing. You know, when I got out of the army, it was, um, a conversation that happened between me and my wife about how many moves PCSs were now going to be required or, mm -hmm. you know, because it was the Sergeant Major Academy and then, you know, you know, all that type of stuff. And, and, uh, I, I didn't give it any th too much thought because at the point, that point I knew that was the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. 
However, later on, and it wasn't, you know, I was one of these guys that felt like, you know, I had it all together and was probably pretty cocky at the time frame. And it wasn't until years later I realized, um, you know, God, what if I would have done this? And, and it's still my wife will say something like, well, our lives would have been different. Yeah. You, you, when, you, when you make a decision, you end up going down a path and you don't know how this other side's going to be, and you try to play it out in your mind, but you're still not going to know all the things that's going to happen in that other path that you don't have visibility to because you don't know what events are going to happen to challenge that. 100%. So, but too many people, though, start focusing on, God, what if I made that left turn rather than the right turn? Yeah. I don't think it's healthy. No. Even for myself, I'm saying that for myself. It's natural. It is. But it's. I don't think it's healthy either. Um, you know, regret as far as making that decision i don't you know the only regret i truly have is i when i stepped away um i made the conscious decision to step away and separate and i how'd you do that though with her still being on active duty she had oh she had so she was in the national guard when she got called okay. to be overseas so okay. when she came home she it got was, out of the guard and everything okay. same time frame yep okay yeah so uh, when you guys made the decision it was like we're both doing this she had been home for like a year so she did she was in the guard they got called up to go over on their, you know, North Carolina's rotation to wherever. She'd come home, and she'd been home for, like, she was going to be a paramedic and stuff. And, um, yeah, we were kind of in the same decision we were six years prior. But yeah. but a lot more wise, I think. And it was just the right time, you know, getting out at 22 or 21. So contracting wasn't an option. When you say you wanted to step away, you yeah. literally wanted to let me cock the rearview mirror. and Yeah. Yeah, and that's the, when you asked about regret. That would be the only point I would add is I spent. I t- it took me too long to get back in contact with the Lees and the Chris's, and you know that's probably the only regret I have is I felt like mentally I need to step away, otherwise I'd be sucked back in. Um, so I was protecting myself that way, which I think was unnecessary. I don't think I needed to in hindsight, but um, I did. I did do. I stayed. I got out, and I was in North Carolina for about eight months. Um, before we moved and I was doing just research and some cross research and development, you know, being a middleman between end user in the soft community mm-hmm. and, you know, your Picatinny arsenals and all that. And I was working for a company that had been started by a former operator. Um, and I did that for a short period of time. And, uh, I don't know if you want me to get into it, but, you know, essentially I decided I'd go back to school, you know, went to, I was going to be, I wanted to be a PA. Uh, physician's assistant. So I was going to the University of Portland out in uh, Oregon. We had moved. Um, and we what, what, what was the calling there? Uh, I, I liked medicine. I'd done some yeah. of it. I liked, I liked, I didn't like working on guys, but it, none of it bothered me. It fascinated me. Um, I had done paramedic training while in the military and I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, I, you know, having our second child, I took a break from school and then I took a job in Portland. And then that's really where I'm in the civilian side now at this point. I'm, you know, that's all in the rearview mirror. It's who I was. It's part of me, but it's who I, it's who I was. It's not who I am. And that's kind of the way that I viewed that time, you know? Okay. We closed the chapter. It's given me some great experience and some life lessons and, you know, shaped my personality, but it's not, doesn't define me by any means. Were you able to do that? I mean, a hundred percent. That I think is, 
I got to say, you know, and I think I've even said it actually on former podcasts and maybe more early on is that, you know, I was one of those guys that said, I'm going to cock the rear view mirror. I'm walking out yeah. of here and that's the end of it. And yet here I am sitting with the podcast because I felt like there was a sense of community I lost and I wanted to kind of get it back by having yeah. folks like yourself sit across the room and have these kind of conversations that at least make me feel like I'm somewhat connected. Um, and you know, that sense of community and that whole thing, but also giving back. So has there been any of that, you know, you're saying you're just now starting to make contact with. Yeah. Guys, yeah, but. that absolutely. I didn't, you know, I guess I, I didn't think it was as needed as much. I didn't realize that it was needed. Mm-hmm. I think these conversations are huge and people willing to talk about this so that other people can hear about it mm-hmm. because I didn't know. When I, and just like y'all probably didn't, when I got out, people weren't talking the way they are now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're sitting there going, am I the only one feeling this way? Am I the only one thinking this? Am I the only one who doesn't, you know, great. I have a resume, but how do I really interview? How do I really, how do I, how do I start at the bottom again yeah. and build Which is my, tough. And, and have confidence and build myself up for someone like you who rose yeah. to the top? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to stomach, which is the reason why I think a lot of guys also go contracting or just something that's very common. Yeah. Necessity is what drove me, um, Here's here's short story. I had been out for a while. I had done some contract work, not contracting overseas. Um, had gone to school, and I wanted to stop traveling. And I had, was joking with a friend of mine who lived in Portland, and he was a he was a construction guy. And he goes, "Hey, he's like, I'm this this company that does all the shipping, international shipping here in Portland. He's been working on their dock face, and he's he's gonna go interview for this job as a superintendent." of loading and offloading ships, managing the labor union. And I flippantly was like, ask them if they got another job. Yeah. And never, no interest, no history, nothing. Yeah, just like way out in the left yeah, field. Way out in the left field. I just knew I didn't want to travel. And I didn't mm. know how the skill sets that I had it would get me into other jobs. Sure. Important. I didn't know how to go find that. But you knew that if you cracked the door and you got in, I had, you might, you know. And I did. And, and, and I got interviewed by this guy at a restaurant and uh, they had a second opening and the pay was, I think, $60,000, right? So here's my past, everything. And now I'm starting in an industry I've never been in in Portland. Um, And they didn't hire me. The first first interview, I made it all the way through. They loved, they didn't hire me because I didn't have any experience. So I went back to contract about a week later Two weeks later, they called me and they said, "Hey, this guy bailed on us. Do you want to do it?" You know, I was like, "What made him make the chance? Take the chance?" Because I was the second. I was, just, that, I that was, was the it. second one. Yeah, <laughs> they needed another superintendent, uh, and I said, "Sure." And so that began for me at 28 years old a path again of starting at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if there's anything that I'm proud of, that it's that that I'm not too. I don't have such an ego that I can't start at the bottom and you're hundred percent right. Within a year I was running the entire terminal. So I had gone from the lowest man in the company to the terminal manager and now traveling the world and managing, you know, a $40 million budget and productivity on cranes and learning all this stuff that I didn't know anything about, but it was all there and who I already was. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a big point right there. And again, it goes back to the very early uh, part of this podcast where you were talking about the tools are there. Yep. And some people just don't realize that. And yeah. once again, you recognize that I've got what I need here as a foundation. Yeah. I think a lot of guys, when they make the transition, 
they don't realize that in itself too. I mean, they don't realize that they don't have the confidence or maybe they do have too much confidence, but they don't realize their weaknesses necessarily when they walk out the door. But if you, if you understand, if you do an introspective look, I guess is what I'm saying. And you, and you look at yourself and you recognize your weaknesses, you recognize your strengths, but then you take those strengths and you capitalize on them and go, yeah, but this is what I can do. Mm-hmm. These are the tools that's been given to me that I can really expand upon um, then, then you're probably going to grow and be successful out here in the private sector. Yes. Um, well, I, and it sounds like, like you were very willing to let go of some things to, yeah. to get what you wanted. I mean, yeah. And you have it. to, you gotta be, you gotta be willing to look like an idiot. If you have yeah. confidence in yourself and anybody that's coming out of the military, just listen to this. I mean, there are skill sets that you, you may not know how to translate them today, but they're absolutely pertinent. I would take somebody who doesn't have any experience that's been in the military and, and not been kicked out or anything like that. It just has a, it doesn't matter what you did in the military. There's some inherent qualities that you have that companies absolutely want. And it may not seem like it, but give yourself a year or two. And typically I've, my experience has been people raise real, rise really quickly within those companies or they can start their own or do, I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard. I didn't know this until it took me 10 years to figure this out you know, kind of force gumping my way through what I can and can't do. Yeah. And I haven't found anything I really can't do and be successful at. What, what have you seen in the private sector since you've been out? Cause it's been a while yeah. um, as it relates to like post-traumatic stress, there just seems to be a bag stigma of people coming forward within the military yeah. um, because they're concerned about whether or not the unit will, or whatever unit they're in yeah. will actually allow them to to remain in the fight or put them back into the fight at some period of time. Yet in the private sector, I think there's this concern about former veterans who may have post-traumatic stress and that, you know, you're just, you're going to go crazy, Yeah. you know, or you're going to be more of a challenge for them and everything. So there's a stigma that's actually on both sides of it Yeah. Uh, that we're trying to fight. And quite honestly, even some nonprofits out there don't really help with that because they try to portray the post-traumatic stress um, veteran is being the broken individual that yeah. we need to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And society has embraced that. I mean, society's embraced that view because we've given it to them. Yes. You know, we've, we've talked about it, we've given it to them. And, and I think part of it is trying to understand what it really is. Um, I, I, you know, I used to not believe in it. And then, you know, I had my own struggles through, depression, um, you know, which I thought were just normal life things. And then you talk to more people. I heard, you know, I hear Chris or I, I hear Lee and, you know, you hear people talk about it and you're, these are strong dudes that I know that I would never question their, you know, them overseas or anything. And they're dealing with some of these issues. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not abnormal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Spooner and Scott, mm-hmm. you know, that was my first conversation. I was having a real rough go and I called Scott Spooner up one day and he just was like, dude, and he, ran me through everything. And this was right as Tom and then we're starting to talk about PTSD. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I thought about this recently because PTSD is a, it's a diagnosis that was created to try and explain things, right? I like, I like to think of it for myself more like uh, I use the term newfound reality or new functioning reality. It's not, you're, there's, you've just done things and seen things. You can't unsee. It's like anybody. It's like, a, it's like an ER doc. It's you have new experiences that have shaped the way you react to things now. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That is absolutely normal. You know, if you get attacked by a bear, 
you're going to be scared of bears in the future, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're going to probably avoid them. Yeah. You know, things like that. That's normal. That's how we survive. And so every, you can't, you can't be exposed to the things we are exposed to and, and not expect things to happen. Um, one of the things I talk about with PTSD, so TBI is, you know, I have no doubt that anybody who's been in the soft community and other people as well, I mean, armor, tankers, like there's... Yeah, yeah mortar. Yeah. I mean, Yeah, you don't have pounding. to be in special operations for it yeah, by yeah. any means. Um, but, oh, I'm having a TBI moment. I was going somewhere with that. Um, uh, it's gone. Oh, so dogs, we're talking about with dogs, stress. So PTSD is a reaction to stress, right? Well, yeah. you, the only difference is, is my bucket, I might have a bucket and you might have a 55-gallon drum. But when we, when my bucket or, and your 55 gallon drum get, that's when you start to see it. So there's probably people out there who maybe they have a higher tolerance or they haven't experienced it. Maybe that comes post-military. Maybe it comes the first time you're shot at in the military, right? It's hard to predict when that's going to come for people, but I think it comes. And I think guys experience it later because those experiences still happen. Um, they are, they're stressed. Maybe it's, maybe it's no longer about the military. It's about their life. They come home now. They have to deal with a family that they've been able to avoid for twenty years by staying busy, you know, in the work. And now home life is stressful, and you start seeing these symptoms that are all. I think they're all tied together. Stress is stress. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, there, there's, I think, a study actually that's out there, and I've mentioned, I think, on other episodes where um, they they're even looking at. It's not just different DNA. I mean, yeah. we're 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 made up very different. It's the reason why you're you and I'm me and yeah. stuff. We don't carry the same DNA, but there's also stuff to do about um, your pre-existing conditions, how you grew up, where yeah. you grew up, all of that that could play a role at some point in your life. You may have exp- been exposed to post-traumatic stress in a very different way that you don't even recognize it as yeah. that. And then when you experience it in a very different way, it may now compound it. Yep. And, the, and either then at that moment... Or like you're saying, some period of life and how you deal with it may have a lot to do with, again, the makeup of of your life yeah. that, up to that point. So, But I think it's important that we at least um, explain this and talk about this more because then the general public begins to understand it better. And you think about police force who are exposed to it all the time. Yeah. 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 yeah and you said companies earlier. Um Nobody should be scared of it. I mean, do bad things happen? Yeah, bad things happen to good people all the time. And none of them have been, I mean, people do things. We get messed up in life. But to, to put a stigma on PTSD, that's the thing that, you know, I think it keeps people from actually talking about it. You know, when, when everybody thinks, oh, I don't have PTSD because I don't have this, or that person's crazy, let's not talk about it. You know, I think the more we talk about it and normalize it, that's huge, right? It's just, it's just normal. There's no reason to be scared of it. Companies shouldn't be avoiding people because of that. They're not yeah. gonna. They're not gonna come in. We're not gonna have the postal shootings. They're not gonna come in and. I think uh, that's what they're afraid yeah. of. Right? Yeah. But but it's been portrayed that way. I mean, even television, movies. Yeah. Yeah. I've been asked before. You know, like you're not gonna flip out, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not gonna flip out. I'm just. We also yeah. have to talk. Uh, I think in the PTSD story, like we're talking, but then there's also I like to call it the professional vet. The person who's made their new identity 
being the veteran mm. who's in, afflicted. And maybe you don't want to talk about it, but... No, no, no. What, are you talking about like the bro vet? The bro of? vet, the professional vet. I go to every hunt thing. I, I take every handout I can get, you know, and... Oh, and use I'm, it as a suffering. I'm... Exactly. This is my <sighs> new identity. I am an afflicted I'm a broken... Yeah. And I think that does more damage than anything because there's people that are actually trying to help with these events. Yeah. And... Yeah. There's a lot of people who take advantage of it, right, wrong, or indifferent. No, you're right. Well, and it's it's not serving them well, I think, either, the individual that's doing that. Because, like, you have to, like I was saying, you let go of a lot of things. I mean, you had maximum status in the military, yeah. and then you go and you take a medium to low salary yeah. job, bottom of the barrel. I mean, I've had to do this as well. Yeah. And you, you just got to let it go. You're not, you're not starting yeah, but that's to not what they want. anymore. They want attention. Exactly. Right. But they thrive on it. But you're, you're missing out on the healing when you do that. But they you're don't want to be healed. Out on who you, the man you should be. Because you, you shouldn't be the guy that you were in your 20s. No. After you're not in your 20s. And the, Why not? Jeez, man, I want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> it looks okay. like you should look, right, you know, you should look like you did in your yeah. 20s. You know, well, you got to yeah. stay in shape. I, no. What, you, don't, uh, you don't see the six pack in the. No, I believe you looked like that in your 20s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not messing with you. No, nope. but it, it's true. There are people who actually enjoy doing that, yeah. and it's almost as, and again, some people are really struggling, and maybe they're looking for that right answer. Yeah. We're not talking about that, but what you're no. describing is an individual who thrives on the attention and wants to take advantage of um, not only the limelight and enjoys that, but wants to take advantage of the system that's been placed in front of them mm-hmm. that allows them to survive yep. in that world, in yep. that space. And it, it, it damages people that need to come forward. Right, seeing that turns other people off. Yeah, who really need the help? Because then yeah. they go, "Oh my God, I don't want to be yeah. labeled as that guy." Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they don't accept help. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. I see that. You know, it's embarrassing to talk about it. It's what, whatever. I don't care. You know what? Yeah. I I used to think that way. I truly did. I wouldn't talk about PTSD or TBI. And TBI is easier to talk about because I don't have as you know I don't have this perceived control over TBI. Yeah. PTSD is scary to talk about because now there's something wrong with me, right? That's what sure. people do. TBI, oh, it happened to me. Well, it's labeled, the last initial is disorder. Yeah. So it's yeah. already giving that that yeah. bad connotation. But it, it, it occurs in people that experience trauma in such an orderly fashion. Yeah. Like you experience trauma and then you have this to deal with afterwards. Right. Like it's, so it's, there's nothing disorderly about it. Right. It's just a, a matter of course. If you go and do high impact things, you're going to have some bruises afterwards. And that's normal. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody, you know, somebody in the psychology world needed to put their put their their name behind it, and and I don't, I, don't, I should know that um, who that is, but um, you know, I think it was the best they could do to try and identify what this is, right? So we're yeah. gonna call. We can't fully medically explain it. It's a disorder. It happens to people, yeah. but um, but I mean, but that well, it goes it, to the point though. Is it really? Well, it's a, it's jargon. That's the problem. Right. Is that it? In that profession, that's jargon. That's not stigmatized. It's they don't. Yeah, neutral the, language. That's hundred percent. Yeah, and, and we've taken and made it a, a negative thing. And I don't yeah. think it needs to be. I you know all secure. There's there's different people that are doing different things, and um, I I'm just I'm all for all of it. Um, I am totally for people getting help where they need it, being able to hear you know my story. Yeah, there's there's absolutely been low points. Uh, whether it's PTSD or I was just suffering, like there's been low points where I was alone. I didn't have people I was identifying with. You know, I was living in a, 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 spa- a space that I had 
you know, rent it out for other people in my own head. And I was mm-hmm. focused on what wasn't important for me when I talked to Scott about it, you know, um, it, it wasn't all, all consuming, depressing, but there were times that it was like, man, this is the only thing I control. I'm having so much trouble controlling things. You know, the only factor I see that I can control was if I, if I remove myself from this. And, and I think that's why suicides happen is you're, you're, I think one of the reasons you're trying to control things that maybe you can't control, maybe Mm -hmm. let it go and, and focus on what you can control. Um, in the sense of, uh, you're stressing about things or there's things that are happening in your life that maybe you just don't need to have control over. And that's not a bad thing. It's a hard lesson. I think for especially getting back to the types of personalities we were talking about earlier that we want to be a control all the time. We want to be, we're inside our head. And if you're that type of individual, which I can tell you, I am, then you would, you would definitely struggle more Mm -hmm. than maybe your buddy that you don't see struggling as much. And you think what's wrong with me, which gets you inside your head more. And then it becomes this vicious cycle until maybe you have someone like a Scott Spooner or, you know, Tom, that's a, that's a friend that says, dude, you got to get out of your head. And you know, that's what, that's what the problem is. And it resonates too. Cause I mean, that's, that's another thing. Is it really going to resonate? So Kelly, what, what have you done when you're like at your low points and you, you're like, kind of spiraling, spiraling around the bowl, like, yeah. Um, what are some things you've done to kind of pull yourself out of there? I don't know. Uh, I don't, I, with, you know, the first time that I was really, it was going on for a while when I called Scott and, and, and honestly, the biggest thing for me is just talking to people. I have people that I trust that are no be You guys had Leon and you had Chris on. Um, those guys are, you know, people that I trust to have these conversations with, and there's other people, but you know, you good? Sorry. <laughs> You're good. Uh, there's, there's, there's people that I trust that are open about this kind of stuff that are non-judgmental. Uh, that makes it easy to have conversation and be willing. Yeah. Um, but you got to find those people because otherwise you're just going to be looking at the people who you're afraid of judging you. So that's when I say, don't worry about things you can't control. I used to worry about people judging me because, you know, I'm having these issues. Now I know there's other guys having these issues. Mm-hmm. And for the people that aren't having these issues, they're either not being honest or maybe they just don't have those issues. But I also find there's a lot of people that aren't being honest about the conversation because they haven't gotten to the point where they don't look at it as a weakness anymore. Yeah. We saw, um, talking about like bro vets or whatever, we saw a guy with a T-shirt last night. What was, what was on the back of it? Well, the front said veteran. Oh yeah, it's that stupid shirt where it's like definition of a veteran, someone that wrote a blank check up to and including my life for your country. Like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just yeah. shut the fuck and, up. And, and we and we see I'm that. I'm so glad I didn't wear that today. It, right. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been embarrassing. Yeah, that would have been. Because <laughs> Paul and I would have been like. Yeah, but yeah, but but it's living in that world sometimes too. Again, where you got to let it go, and you know whether you're talking about um, those events that led up to this point, or you know we're talking about regret or whatever the case may be. It's it's like you don't always have to wear the hat. I'm a veteran, you know. 
Paul does on occasion, you know, Ranger bat, you know. Thing. I worked really hard for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a uniform to put it on anymore. I paid like 20 bucks it's, for that it's stupid okay. medallion. It's like, okay, but it, it, on something. It, doesn't define, it doesn't define us. It's part of us, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's our shared experience. I mean, it's, but you're not, that's not what you're doing anymore. So it's okay to talk about it and have that part of it, but sure. you don't, don't live there. If you're going to live there, go either go back in the military or do like, and maybe you can't because you're tired or you're injured. Mm-hmm. I get that. But, and we all, we all have that shared experience. So I, my suggestion for people that have feel like they're living in that place, that's where you have a good core group of people or it's okay to go to these events. I mean, I went to one of them, you know, it's good, but that shouldn't be your goal in life is to identify as that anymore. Well, and yeah. especially not and check your calendar there. and see where those events are occurring and, oh man, I've always wanted to go to Colorado. Here's a cool one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think it's okay to an extent. I, I yeah. know exactly what you're saying, Kelly. Like the guy that's the professional um, I, event guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I understand that. And there's a certain point where it's like, all right, how much is this really helping you? Or are you just recreating but i think it's important also to to accept help and, and accept like these organizations are out there for a reason yeah so go if that's your bag go and do something good with it if you identify as a veteran use it so you can reach other guys the guys that are hurting or suffering in silence and talk about it you know connect with them at those those events there's a lot of good to be done in that space and there's a lot of help you can get that, that you may need what you're saying, though, is check yourself. Make sure you're going there with the right heart and the right yeah. reason. And if, yeah. if you feel like you want to actually improve, then that means you're actually going to, you will improve because you've already set the mindset that you want to gain something from this. So you're not going there because your buddies are going there and it's a great time to sit around the campfire and, and talk about the days gone by. You're actually going there because you want to heal. Yeah. You're not yeah. going there because you want to ski, you know, yeah. down the, you know, Boulder, Colorado, you know, mountains and everything and see the scenery. You're going there to heal, but that may be part of the healing. Yeah. That's yeah. and Paul said it, you know, I mean, also helping like sharing. Don't yes, be then give back. Yeah, give back. Don't just yeah. take. You know, and, and it may seem you might be insecure about it. I was, you know, but I, I you got to talk about it. And if somebody thinks that I'm, I, I had a conversation with somebody and they hate the conversation of PTSD as a former veteran, they yeah. hate it. They're mad about people talking about it. It makes us look weak. I said, you know what? I was like, you need to, we need to set up dinner and talk about your PTSD. I was like, right, you are right. so angry right now <laughs> about this and how yeah. people are perceiving us. Like, I don't care. Yeah. If anybody wants to question my courage, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've checked that block. Yeah. I've I've I'm good. I've got a thousand hits that say, Hey, I'm I'm okay. Yeah. So to talk about this is not a cowardly thing. It's not it's not stigmatizing. You know, he made the point that, well, kids, you know, all these people here that oh that you're gonna go in and you're gonna come out with PTSD. No, I don't think they do. People are still enlisting in the military. That's a yeah. Don't be afraid of going and doing something because you might. But there is a re- reality to. There is. You, you could. And you need to understand the consequences of your decisions, yeah. whatever they may be. But I would rather have all of the facts laid out in front of me to say, listen, war is not what you think it may be on television and the movies and everything else. That's probably very far from it. That's Hollywood. That's their perspective. And most yeah. of them have never been. So what, yeah. what you need to realize is that what you're signing up for, there's, there's a bit of a reality check that needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
But I also think that's that's kind of what we're trying to do, right? We're yeah. trying to show the guys that are going they're going into the military now or they're going to get out of the military soon and they're going to be where we are. So like my job, I I really am passionate about this is to show the guys the way. Like when you get out, don't just go buy a grunt style t-shirt and put some stickers on your truck and then be a cranky old vet for the rest of your life. Go find a place to volunteer, find a group to mentor you and that you can mentor back because you need to do both. Find some way that can help you professionally so that you have a good professional network. Find good mental health resources, whether it's you know going on hunting trips or it's equine therapy, which I prefer, or just traditional yeah, therapy. Ayahuasca, yeah, ayahuasca. I mean, there's yeah, people doing do all it. kinds of, you know. Uh, do you guys know Doc Pate? Kate? No. Kate? Um She's she's a she's a neuro neuro neuropsych. Uh, I think she's she's a doctor, but anyway, she's she follows a lot of this stuff and um, dabbles in that world of PTS and all that stuff, and um, has puts out a lot of information about the veteran or just uh, no, I don't believe so. Okay. Um, a lot of association with veterans and mm-hmm. stuff, but um, pushing you know the studies on ayahuasca and psychedelics and you know kind of keeps people in the loop. That's one aspect of it. There's all that kind of stuff out there. But I think sitting on it and not talking about it doesn't, we've seen for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, one of the things Spooner introduced me to or talks about is tribe. Um, and, you know, back in the olden days, warriors would sit around and they would burden the village, right, with their stories. That's how they lived healthy. And they had a purpose too. They were fighting for their families. You know, war's a lot different now. You go overseas, your next door neighbor doesn't know you're fighting for them. They yeah. might, but yeah. you know they don't have. There's no skin in the game for them, maybe, right? And we don't burden society anymore. We don't come and tell you know we don't come and sit around the fire and tell the story of the warrior. That's what I think we need to do with PTS. That's why these conversations are important because it lifts something off of me and puts it on whoever's listening right now. And that's okay. It's okay to do that. It's okay to talk about the hard struggles you have and burden some of the people who haven't had to live that life, mm-hmm. right? Because we're all in it together. And and I think that's something that's changed about modern warfare is you go away, you do these things, and then you come home and you're, you don't talk yeah. about it with anybody, you know? I think there's a fear, though, of somebody does come forward like you're describing, uh, especially in this type of platform, that they may be perceived as that broken warrior, as that individual, because that's what the conversation at that moment is about. That was the mm-hmm. topic. But again, it's like your military service. It doesn't define you, no. but it's missed perhaps by somebody who takes the snippet or takes that moment in time and says, oh, oh, I, I, I didn't realize that that impacts, you know, you that much. Yeah. I thought, you know, you were okay. And yeah. now they start thinking you're not okay. Not okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah so they don't want to put themselves out there. I mean, I've had people that, uh, quite frankly, there are people who don't want to come on a podcast because they don't want to put themselves out there. They yeah. don't want to be exposed. They want to kind of... But they're suffering. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's, that's a shame. And I hope that more people talking about it and normalizing it um, in a good way, not normalizing something bad, but hey, this is okay to have. And you can be productive, go, you know, as a CEO for a company, you know, you can, you can be a successful person in life yeah. and still, 
you know, I love the, the what you said, normalizing. If you're if you do anything with data and and you're looking at it, you're going to have data that's going to be random up and high and you know all mm-hmm. over the place and stuff. Normal is you know whatever this baseline is. You draw yeah. a line on the graph and stuff, but you start seeing all these sporadic things. But what you're taught to do is normalize that data, pull it in, and when yep. you pull it in. You know, you may have outliers and stuff, and there could be extreme outliers yep. on, on both sides of this whole thing. But when you normalize the data, you find that there's more common ground than there is apart. That's if oh. you focus on the outliers all the time, then you're spending your time in the wrong place. Well, it's you not think they're outliers, and maybe they're not. Right, right. Like you said, you're expanding your data range. Yeah. You know, you're just working with more information now. Going, oh, it's not. It's not what we thought it was. It's this now, and this makes sense. And like you said, there's always going to be in anything, right? There's going to be the bad cases, right? Yeah. And, and there's, you know, with TBI, we talk about it with CTE and these things that are coming out. There's certainly bad cases. But, I, you know, if you were to look at all of human history and the data we have, that's not always the outcome. So mm-hmm. it shouldn't be something that we're scared of. I always ask people, you know, getting back just for a moment about the, um, you know, we, we may be stopping individuals from joining the military. I used to ask on the podcast, did you have any family members or anything that came in? Myself, I had an uncle that was captured in World War II by the Germans and was uh, put in a, you know, a, a camp and everything as a POW, and it was a German boy that let him out, and there's a whole story that goes with that. I had uh, a Marine uncle that went to Vietnam, you know, that saw some really bad stuff and all that. It didn't stop me. Mm-mm. It never changed my decision where I thought for one moment, if anything, it made me think, you know, these are proud individuals that I wholeheartedly respect as my uncles or my cousins or whatever. And what they went through, I, I felt like to give of themselves in that way, I wanted that. Yeah, I wanted to, I don't know if you call it humble yourself, but get to the point where you're, it's not about, you know, look at my shiny uniform and I come back from boot camp or basic training and here I am, you know, and it's all about me. It's more about giving of yourself. And, and so I learned that very early on and, and, and talked about that. Well, what we're asking now is for those who may be struggling to go get help, but as well, those individuals, um, who maybe have gone through the other side and seen, and, and they're still healing, you know, you're never fixed, maybe a hundred percent, but when you talk about it and give back, it's that same thing. You're, you're giving of yourself, you know, it, it, you're just giving it a different way. Now it's not about you. It's about helping the next person to it's your left. It's very right. similar to what you did in the military. Do something bigger than yourself. Be the, be the leader that yeah. goes out instead of telling you, you know, you get, this is what's going to happen to you and blah, blah, blah. Or if you don't come, you know, don't, if you come back, you know, you're yeah. not going to be, don't be that guy. And the same thing with the PTSD. Instead, be the guy that says, hey, you know, I want you to do your best. That's all I want you to focus on. By the way, change your socks. Yeah. Wear good to, good boots, you know, and that's it. Yeah. And, and give you the hope and the, the, the drive and everything that you need. You're not going to get all the answers and stuff, but go experience this event. Go to this place and see if you get the healing that you need while going there. And if you don't, hey, you know what? We'll help you find another one because there's going to be somebody. It's just like going to a um, a psychiatrist or whatever, you know, um, a counselor. It may not be the first one. It may be the fiftieth. Probably won't be the first one. No. Most likely, you're going to have to. But if you don't go keep going, you're not going to find it. Yeah. And maybe that's not the person you need. Maybe it's you know your buddies that you served with. Maybe that's the people that you 
you know, a burden with your stories and you, when you tell it around the fire. Some people, they, they can do it in larger groups. They can do it for strangers and they can, yeah. they can you know, unload on a room full of strangers and say, hey, you know, this is my experience and this is what my community is going through. And that's valid too. It doesn't matter. You know, it's out there. I know I, I volunteered at a, a horse farm and my favorite thing to do was just fix stuff. I just go yeah. bang for fence boards together. I met a guy who was a, uh, he was a calf guy, never deployed, but had some bad experiences and, you know, not in the best spot, just like I was. And, and that became like a, a little mini tribe. And we got so much enjoyment and healing, just working hard out in the sun. And you're looking at what these people are doing with their time and their animals to help our community. And I'm not in the spotlight and I'm not getting any accolades and I don't have to share anything except my knowledge of, you know, working with my hands and my work ethic. And so now I'm, I'm mentoring this guy and teaching him skills he doesn't know. I'm getting, you know, and now, now I have a buddy. And it could be that simple. Yeah. yeah. That could be all, all you need to do. It doesn't have to be some big mental health thing. You don't have to go and bare your soul and to strangers or, you know, you yeah. have to do that. I guess I think hiding in the shadow makes it more stressful. You know, I think honestly yeah. when I share and I talk and, you know, I think uh, Chris and Lee and Brad, I think they all feel very similar. Like I don't walk around with that burden of shame or anything. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. Yeah. You know, um, are there things, you know, there's people you've missed, there's things you've done that forever alters you. But again, you know, we talked about it. It part of, part of the, to me, the veteran experience or being a veteran is, you know, looking at your service, being proud of it, but continuing to serve and mm -hmm. finding something bigger. And that's, you know, whether that's your family, whether that's the community, your job, like that's the part that I think I was missing. I was in my own head a lot and just tried to put, oh, I gotta make a paycheck for my family, I do this. And I wasn't doing anything mm. bigger than just that small thing. Um, and giving back and being able to talk about it, that's my, my most stress-free times are when I can do that. That's rewarding to me. You know, instead of just always in the grind for, yeah. you know, that's why I, I, two years ago or a year and a half ago, I stepped away from, I was making great money, CEO of a company, all the things that you should want. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I'm good. I've taken the last year and a half. I'm I've like gone, pointing my yeah. hand, raising my hand and everything. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and I think though that probably comes more with age and wisdom. Yeah. Making mistakes and realizing, but but you're right. I've never made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's gone by plan without having a plan. Yeah. That's why I don't plan. Yeah, because yeah. then nothing goes wrong. I need to live that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> Not if you're a control freak. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I could go that direction anyway. Yeah, Kelly, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. I really do. And in talking about all of these, you know, great things, I think. Again, there's so much that you could take out of this episode, and um, I feel like it'll help somebody. I, I think there's somebody out there that'll be listening, and um, and I think we do need a lot more veterans to come forward and have these difficult conversations that we had here in the end. And I think uh, by doing so, it, it allows more people to, to really heal. Um, yeah. Just by listening to a podcast, you really can make a difference by just being in these types of platforms. Yeah. And uh, for that, I appreciate it, man. I really right. do. Same. Appreciate your guys' time. Thank you very yeah. much. Definitely.